All right, if you have your Bible, if you would, please take your Bible with me before the kids head down to or over. I always say down to. I just can't get used to that. Go to the back into the Children's Chapel area for their lesson today. And uh, if you have your Bible, I want you to take it. It's our Bible decree here at New Hope. And, and I'm thankful that I have my Bible. Let me just tell you just how thankful I am I have my Bible. Uh, because it could be falling apart. But I have other Bibles, but I keep bringing out my Bible that is all ripped up, tattered, and torn because I know where things are at. And uh, there's just something I love about God's Word. And this has been with me since Bible college. This Bible right here is, wow, 30 years old. And uh, so, yes, my pastor friends make fun of it. They call it the family Bible. When they see it, they're like, oh, look at Todd. Here he comes with his family Bible. But I'm proud of my family Bible. And uh, so anyhow, <laughs> let's take our Bible. Let's hold it up nice and high. Let's say this together. This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Amen. Children, you are dismissed. I want to start off today just by saying that you know, many of us do not, well, let's put it this way, we don't proclaim the Word of God, we don't proclaim truth, we don't live by the truth, and so because we have a lack of understanding of God's Word, today I want to start right off by, by kind of encouraging each and every person to do this in your walk with Jesus Christ. Make the Bible your own. Make the Bible your truth. Make the Bible your compass. Make the Bible your roadmap. Make the Bible your GPS. And take the Word of God and try to proclaim it, live by it, and work through it. And, and so when you have the Word of God and it says, I will hide His words in my heart that I might not sin against Him. The reason why we do that is because as Christians we have nothing else but the word. And so today we start off by asking a very simple question. And the question is this. Do I read the Bible? Do I read the Bible? Do I understand its truths? Do I understand the word? Many people will say, but pastor, it's very, very difficult to understand what is being said Yes, I do understand that for many, but if you keep reading it, you will come to a place of saving grace. And that is the place where Jesus said, even in his word, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And so we cannot embrace God's word unless we're reading it and studying it. If someone were to come upon you and they were to, to, to look at you, would they know by your testimony, that you exhibit the love of Christ? Would they know by your testimony that you live a life like Christ? That's the question. Because, see, we can't live and believe in something if we're not reading it and understanding its truths. So many of you have said, no, I've never even opened up the Bible. If this is something new that's for me, I can't. You know, it's hard for me to embrace because of the these and the vows and the begottens and all that kind of stuff. Just start reading. You know, for many that have the King James or the New King James or the NIV or the NLT, open it up, start reading, understand 
what God is trying to say. And let other people see that, you know, what you're saying isn't your opinion. It's the truth of the word. So we come to this place. And if you'll take your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 24, Luke 24, verses 13 through 35, we will highlight this morning. I won't take a lot of your time, but there is a lot to be said in God's word. And, uh, you know, we're, we're embarking upon this meeting and um, I was actually prompted to preach this message this past week. Ryan and I were working together and he said, Pastor, I haven't heard you preach on the Emmaus Road. And I said, well, maybe you weren't there that Sunday. I'm not sure where you were at, but I preached it. He said, well, I want to hear a message on it. I said, well, you're asking an awful lot right now, buddy. And that's not what I said. And uh, so I said, oh, okay. And that's what I always do. And, And sometimes for many of you, if you'll say to me, pastor, I love this part of the Bible. I'll try to put together a message and take that Bible or that text, uh, that part of scripture and make it real for you. And yet this was such a perfect time because as Ryan was, was prompting me and asking me to do this, it started to spark some thoughts and spark some thoughts within me in regard to the Emmaus road. What is the Emmaus road? How does this relate to us? And and you're going to soon find out what it is, and, and I'm going to go through the setting, the appearances, what took place on the Emmaus Road. The cool part about this part of Scripture, now we're going to stop, we're going to back up a month. We're going to go right back to the resurrection. And all of a sudden, it starts off in this text in, in Luke chapter 24, where two visitors, two awesome ladies that were followers of Jesus Christ, came to a tomb. When they arrived at that tomb, they found out that the man that was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, though some thought he was a rabbi, that he was just a teacher, but he was Jesus, the Son of God, they went to pay alms. How many of you have gone to the grave and you've laid flowers down? You just want to sit on the grave? You, you reflect, you talk to your loved one. And I think that's what they were doing as they approached. They were going to show respect and to remember. Oh, but then I think there's something else about this cool story. He kept telling them over and over and over and over that he was going to what? Be raised on the third day. Why didn't they go the second day or the first day? Because the tomb, the sepulcher, was closed up. And so here is these two ladies. They're going to pay their respects. Or were they going because they didn't believe? Think about that. How many of us have heard the stories? How many of us have read the truths of God's word, but we don't believe? Pastor, you lost it. No, hold on a minute. Let me explain this to you. If he said you have faith as the grain of mustard seed, you can move a mountain. My first thought, even when I, every time I quote that, my first thought is, I can't do that. There's my lack of faith. See, the difference between you and I, I have to be up here. I'm being transparent with you. I can't move a mountain. No, Todd, you can't. But with your faith, I can do all things 
through Christ that gives you the strength. So what ends up happening is we have a lack of understanding of faith, of the word, and of truth. So we always have to go see for ourselves. When I told people we were moving over here and how fast this all took place and what, what took place, oh, come on, you've got to be kidding me. Is this a joke? No. God still answers prayers. Where's our faith? Yeah, from the road, this, this you know, mega church that sits back here. They think it's this big. We know it's that big. Reality is, a church spreads the gospel and gives the light. And it's so funny because when people walk in here, they're like, whoa, what just took place in this building? I was here before. Some of our family that's been here before and grew up in this church or whatever, you've seen a change. But we have to believe that God is still in the miracle working business. And he wants to heal you from your hurt, your habits, your hang-ups. And God is here and he's alive. And when they went to that sepulcher, he wasn't dead for he was alive. That's the story of the resurrection. But what I found here, where it says the road, who will you meet? What I found in this story is that these ladies go back, they share their story, and all of a sudden, two of the disciples start traveling down that dusty road. And as they're traveling, they have a guest that shows up. And when this guest shows up and hangs out with them, they don't realize who this awesome guest is because the Bible says that God closed their eyes. Now, what I find interesting is I'm, I'm really jumping ahead of myself, and it really doesn't matter because I'll give you my conclusion before we get into the message. But the cool part of this is that God always wants to reveal himself to us, not always by what we can see, but what we can believe. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's not always what we can see. It's what we believe in the Bible. And so God has opened up the word. He's given from Genesis right from the beginning of time. He's opened it up and he starts to show that the magnitude and the glory of who he is, who his son is, what the prophets foretold, what they start to say so that prophecy can be fulfilled. Jesus Christ comes and he gives us hope. But all through the Old Testament, everything that took place, they heard about. But they kept saying, we're waiting for the coming Messiah. That was just the argument of the Jewish people. You know, as they're traveling and as they're going round and round and round and round and round, they don't realize who he is. But church, I want you to know that God is real. He sits on the throne Jesus Christ sits at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is there. He is there to intercede on our behalf. And I want you to know that I'm excited to stand up here today to tell you and to let you know that I realize that I serve a risen Savior. So we sing about the songs. We live it, but we just have a difficult time believing. And so... You know, let's just highlight verses 13 and 14. And it says here, And behold, two of them went the same day to a village called Emmaus, 
which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. Now, in that text, furlongs means that it was a distance away. And so as we break it down, we realize that as they were traveling, they talked together of all the things that had happened. And it came to pass that while they communed, while they spoke, while they interacted, talked together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And so it says in verse 14, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. So here's two men, and all of a sudden, these awesome women go back and they start to say, he is risen. Why did they say that? Was because they went back to see for themselves because they were having a difficult time believing what they could not see. And now they go there and they're like, uh, dudes. I think that's how they talked back then. Dudes, you've got to come and see this. This is crazy. Jesus of Nazareth is gone. Well, the latter part of that sentence is here's what else they said. Somebody took him. Yep. So get this picture. And all of a sudden, the appearance starts to take place. And these guys are like, I know. Just kind of like some of us in the church. Um, Can you believe he said that, she said that, and he actually did that? Don't look at me like you're innocent. I know better. Just kidding. And so they're going back and forth. Do you know what the prophets of old said? You know what? They said, you know, all the way back to Genesis, that Jesus is a root out of dry ground. He shall come. He is. You know what? It says that he doesn't even have, he's not even attractive. He's, he's going to come and save his people. And then, they, you know, they start talking about the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah starts to say, um, man, can you believe that this prophet said that Jesus, the same thing that took place back in Genesis and uh, Things driving me crazy today. And, uh, but, but the same thing is taking place, and prophecy is being fulfilled. And yet, as he starts to speak in Isaiah 53, it says this, that he will be wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we will be healed. Mm-hmm. Can you believe that? Can you really? I think somebody took him. What do you think? I think they took him too. I don't think he's anywhere around. No, I mean, did you really believe what, what was told of old? I mean, did you ever meet Isaiah? Did you ever meet any of those prophets? I didn't. They're always talking that stuff. Man, what? what Jesus, who is he? Now, all of a sudden, as they're talking and they're walking and they're fellowshipping with one another, all of a sudden, we notice in 15 and 16, and it came to pass that while they were talking together and reason, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were hidden that they did not know who he was. And in the Bible, it says that their eyes were restrained. So God hid Jesus, his true identity. They didn't know who he was. But when we go to the end of the chapter, in in verse 31, we'll start to see that the veil was lifted 
But in their, their present uncertainty, God still had things to teach them. So now all of a sudden, a conversation starts to take place. And here's what was said. And he said unto them, what manner of communication are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And the one of them, whose name was Cleopas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and has, have you not seen the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, You know, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people. Now the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yes, and the certain women also of our company, they, made an, they were astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. In verse 23. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of an angel, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but in, in him they saw not. What they're saying is they did not see him. Verse 25, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So we're going to stop there. In verse 17, Jesus speaks up for the first time. He asks them what they're talking about and why are they sad? Their response is one of complete shock. They can't believe that anyone coming out of Jerusalem would not know what happened. From their response, it is clear that they are stunned and disappointed at the recent events. They had supported Jesus, believed that he was the Messiah. Now they ached with grief and confusion, which was evident in their response. Are you the only person who does not know about these events? John says with sarcasm. So here's the question. Graciously seeking to enlighten them, our Lord would not be put off. His second question, what things, got them to express their confusion and frustration. Notice in verse 19, they both spoke because it says they said, and from their response, they were definitely confused about what had just happened. And the last thing that they mentioned was that some of their fellow disciples went to the tomb, but were unable to see. Jesus. In many ways, they're just like modern skepticism. Only the presence of the risen Jesus would convince them of what had happened. The irony of this story is that they are in the midst of what they desired and what the others had not experienced. But they were so depressed. They were so negative. And their confusion that it was beyond their capacity to make the obvious connection. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been depressed? And if you've ever been depressed or even tried to help someone who is depressed, you know that some people are just amazingly 
resourceful in finding reasons not to take comfort in anything you say to them. They're determined to take everything, everything they hear as bad news. To them, the empty tomb compounded the tragedy because they thought that someone had stolen the body, adding insult to injury. And ironically, Cleopas mentioned that it had been three days since Jesus' death, not recalling that Jesus had said over and 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 over. What did he say? Over and over. Okay, we got this. He would be put to death and rise again on the third day. The end of the story. I'm Todd Tackett. Tune in next week. Think about it. He said this over and over again, and yet people were still astounded. And they still questioned. They still didn't believe. See, these men were disappointed because Jesus didn't do what they wanted him to do. He didn't meet their expectations. Interesting, isn't it? So we start to see the response here. And Jesus starts to respond with rebuke. And he starts to express great disappointment in these men. Just as the women at the tomb were rebuked by the angel, these men are rebuked by Jesus. He tells them that their failure is one of foolish and slow-heartedness. The point is they had been told over and over that Jesus would be killed and would rise again on the third day. So they should have understood. He had expectations from these men, and he has expectations of us as well. So we look at verse 26, and it says, I'm not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory. What a rhetorical question. He did not expect an answer. Jesus is simply stating what the disciples should have known from what the prophets had to say. That it was necessary for Jesus Christ to suffer and come into his glory. And for some reason, the first century Jews did not anticipate a suffering Messiah. Even though the prophets had such an expectation. We won't read it today, but if you go all the way through Psalms 118 and Isaiah 53, you'll see what the prophets had to say and actually what was prophesied at the time so that they would know that the the Messiah was here. They believed the prophets. Yet the Jewish people believed the prophets. They just did not believe all that the prophets had to say. So many times this happens to us today. People cut from the Bible what fits their wants and their needs. People cut from the Bible what fits their wants and their needs. So in verse 27, he opens the Bible and he explains to them. Now, this is Jesus talking to them what the scriptures had to say concerning himself. Why did he do this? I love what Warren Wearsby has to say. We finally got up. That's all, folks. But I like better what the Bible has to say in Romans 10, 17, as he quoted it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the what? Word of God. This is why Jesus opened up the word to those two men as the three of them walked to Emmaus. Their problem was not in their head, but in their hearts. That is why Jesus opened the scriptures and then he opened their eyes so that they would understand everything his word said about him 
Now, I love this. All the way back from Moses to the prophets, he starts to say and to quote Scripture. I'm not going to go through it today and bore you with all the stories, but they're such great stories. Because in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you heard me say that he will become a root out of dry ground. He becomes the promised redeemer. Then he also mentioned in Genesis chapter 22, which tells the story of Abraham placing his son on the altar. And after he listens to the voice of God, God then says to Abraham, because of your belief, so shall your descendants be blessed from this day forward. As as many as the stars are in the heaven and the sands by the seashore, your descendants will be blessed. Hold on a minute. These are Jewish men still doubting years later what took place. And Jesus is telling them these stories. Listen what my father did. Listen how he actually proclaimed this. I'm sure that he even touched on the Passover, the Levitical sacrifices, tabernacle ceremonies, the Day of Atonement, which the Jewish people are still fasting and they have one day of atonement that they still remember today remember the serpent in the wilderness and then as i quoted before where jesus christ came and he died for us and it talks about his sins for us in isaiah 53 and so i can keep going and the list could go on and on and on but here's the important thing to remember the key to understanding the bible is to see jesus christ on every page All scripture points to Jesus. And this is something that Luke stresses in his gospel. Here in verse 27, it doesn't say that he taught them just prophecy and doctrine. It says that he taught them things concerning himself. He was able to do this because all scripture, what, points to him. You see, the more that we receive the word of God, the more we will want fellowship with God and the word. Here's a thought. And I quote, understanding Bible knowledge can lead to a big head. But receiving Bible truth and walking with the Savior will lead to a burning heart. Let me say this to you again. Understanding Bible knowledge can lead to a big head. But receiving Bible truth and walking with the Savior will lead, as we will see, to a burning heart. And so let's continue as we move forward here. The meal and the revelation, verses 28. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went, and he made us, though he would have gone farther. He made them believe that he was going to move on. But in verse 29 it says, but they, were, but, they were const- but they constrained him, which means saying, stay with us, hang out with us, sup with us, abide with us, for it is toward everything, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them, and it came to pass as he took sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break it and gave to them. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. And their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight. They said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures It says here that he opened up the word. So we see two things here. The meal, Jesus' revelation. I love that my wife does this. 
every time somebody in this church lacks faith, she says this little quote, and let me tell you what it says. If Jesus can feed the 5,000, he can make anything happen. And I love every time she says that. If you can take just a couple fish and a little bit of bread and feed all these people, then things can happen. I am standing right now on perfectly blended gray carpet put down by Donnie and Chris after we ripped up some discolored pieces that did not match. Because if Jesus can feed the 5,000, he can renovate a church in eight weeks by using his people. So here they are. Get this picture. This is what's so cool about this whole thing. He sits down with them, and then he starts to tell them, sure, I'll hang out with you. All of a sudden, the guest of honor becomes the host to the party. Isn't that cool? So the guest of honor becomes the host. What happens is he starts to reflect of the 5,000. He starts to say, and this is the cup, and this is the bread. See, this is what this means. And all of a sudden, it says their eyes were opened up. Watch how cool this is. Now, you're going to follow me back here to where this dude is at that can't sit still because he's got, he's got Jesus dance fever in him. Because I have Jesus dance fever in me. <laughs> Because he's always doing the jig. You know what I'm saying? I, I have a hard time too. Now, one thing about CJ is CJ knows where he was at. But he knows where he's going. So now, when he says to his click, click, clack, clan, however you guys say that. I don't know. I was seeing it on Facebook or whatever that was. When you say to your click, clack, your click and your clack, that you guys, recovery is here. You can't believe in something that you cannot see. But if this man takes the word and he presents the word to you, then you start to recover and you start to heal because of the word is truth. Amen. CJ can talk all day long. I can talk all day long. We can, we can make something sound so great and pretty. But until you see it real in his life, it will never become real to anybody in this room. See, so, so Jesus, he takes... The click and the clack, and all of us, and he starts to mold us, reshape us, remake us. We have not arrived, church. We are still believing by faith. That's our Christian life. And so when you start to see what Jesus is doing here, Jesus is now saying, listen, I'm going to talk about the revelation of what took place. I'm not just the Messiah I am the risen Savior. Poof! And he was gone. And he vanished. What a great story. And then here's what they said. And they started talking. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road? And while he opened up the scriptures to us? When he taught them, impacted them intensely and emotionally. Listen. I'm a teenager. I'm in public school. I'm getting ridiculed. I'm getting beat up. Oh, there's Tackett, the preacher boy. That's great. Here he comes again. What's he believe? What's he have to say? 
I always had a message for everybody. Good to see you, Casey. God loves you. See, that was a message. That's all we have to do. It's simple. And yet people won't believe. And so I've had to live a life to say, church, listen, we did not get Riverside Drive by luck. God provided. We didn't move from the YMCA to the Court Cultural Center. They had never had a church in there. And since then, they've had other churches in there. But we didn't move from there to Grant Street, from Broad to Grant, from Grant to Riverside, from Riverside to to Southeast Avenue, because it was luck. It's by practicing faith and understanding the truth of God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. If you're not growing in Christ, church, I'm here to tell you the truth, then you're not in the Word. You have to be in the Word. So what is the story of the Emmaus Road? What is going on here? Last was the report. So here's what happens. Verse 33, follow with me. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and went in there to meet with them, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. This is what is amazing to me. They're going back and telling these disciples that saw what took place. Church, revival is here. Breakthrough is here. Victory is here. We have to believe it. And until the world sees it in us, they'll never believe it. We don't practice Christ like we ought to. And so in order for people to see Christ in us, it has to burn within us. You're here today because you have a desire. See, their hearts burned within them. And this demanded a response. So intense was their passion for sharing that they had witnessed, that they had immediately got up and walked all the way back to Jerusalem to share with the other disciples. And what I find interesting is we we start in the very beginning as they were headed down this Emmaus Road, doubting, and now they're heading back, believing, oh God, help the church that cannot see that you're still alive and real. We are failing miserably. Why? Because we don't proclaim the gospel and we won't believe the truths of God's word. People will say to me, oh, pastor, pray over my loved one. No, what I want to say is you have the same abilities to go to the father, get on your knees and start believing through prayer. God will take care of it. Our God is faithful. Do you believe that? Our God is good. Do you believe that? And our God has risen from the grave. Do you believe that? So in this journey as I close, at this very, very moment, Jesus knows where we are. He knows the geography of our lives inside and out. He knows the temperature of our souls, whether they're ice or fire. Whatever our state is, method is the same to meet us where we are with his 
own person framed in this beautiful context of his word. The life-giving, energizing truth is that Christ suffered and that he died for our sins. Then on the third day, he rose from the dead. He delights to bring fire to cold hearts. We do not need more light. We need more heat. Let me say this again. We don't need more light. We need more heat. And this morning, as I close, can you actually say, yes, I have a story where I have seen God real. I have a story where where God is evident in my life where the heat was so bad that I had to just cry out to him. I had to go to my prayer closet. I had to run to the altar. I needed freedom. Don't rest on the morals and laurels of someone else. You come to Christ just as you are. He needs you. He needs a relationship with you. I don't need a church of 500 people in Talmadge, Ohio. I need a church of people that are restored, renewed, and revived in Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. Man, we are so, we're so hung up with all of the pain. Oh, this week, I heard two men say to me, Oh, pastor, if you only knew my past and the pain that I went through, well, let me tell you something from a pastor to you, sir, that you no longer have to live under that condemnation because Jesus Christ's blood has covered you. And he's freed you from all that sin. And church, God wants to free you from all your sin and to let you and to allow you to live a victorious Christian life. There's a story of a born-again Muslim man. And they asked him, How did you even come to know Jesus Christ? And he said, because it's very simple. It's like this. When you're on the road of life and you come to this fork, you have but two choices. Those are the only choices you have. One is to believe in a man who is dead. And one is to believe in a man who is alive, who is risen, and who is coming again. And so I chose the right road, the man that's alive. Hallelujah. That's victory and salvation. So today, if God brought you to church and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, would you believe on him today? Would you come to him today? Would you give your heart to him today? Maybe over the last couple days you've been struggling with some thoughts, some temptations, maybe some, some real big strongholds in your life. Would you come? This altar's for you. We sing a song and we're done. But more importantly, I want, I want for you to have that same Emmaus Road experience, for the veil to be lifted off of your eyes, and for you to be able to see Jesus Christ for who he is. And I'm here today to tell you, and I woke up this morning and said, God... I started 25 years ago with a cleaning company and I wore out my knees because I went to you and said I have needs so that I could be an associate pastor 
a youth pastor, minister of music in Ravenna, Ohio. So I could help that small church to be a, a place where people could come and have hope. So 25 years later, we're still doing the same thing. And I'm glad that God has brought us to a place, place where I saw evidence of him taking care of my water bill and my electric bill. We had zero, but God provided. And God is blessed because of that. And that same man who was at a cleaning account got on his knees in that second floor of Hummel Construction in downtown Ravenna. I received a phone call and I put my face to the carpet and I said, Oh God, here I am. Use me. Reshape me. Mold me. Do whatever you want. I feel like I'm in this place right now on this Emmaus Road and I don't see you, feel you. Oh God, I surrender my life to you. I'll preach your word. I'll do whatever it takes. God, here am I. Use me. And I can still remember at that moment the peace and comfort of God came over me like I had never felt before. And it was almost like somebody, I, I stood right up off that ground like somebody lifted me up on my elbows. People can say what they want, but this is my story of the Holy Spirit, of Jesus who came and showed himself evident in me. And in 14 years, I've had some doubts and some questions. Oh God, forgive me, for I've forgotten what you have done. Because on that Emmaus Road, I started to say, woe is me. Do I need to continue to keep going on? And then God said, oh, but Todd, your work is not done. And he's saying today, oh church, your work is not done. Come unto me, all of you that are heavy laden. And I, oh, I will give you rest. I will give you peace. Church, choose the right road. He's alive. Let's all stand and pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that even this morning, Lord, as we come before you, we never want to close our services without giving people the opportunity to understand that you came, that you died, and that you rose the third day to give us life. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this story on the Emmaus Road, Lord. Thank you for encouraging me in my walk. Lord, even where I feel I have failed you, renew within us our faith. God, if there's somebody here today that does not know you as Lord and Savior, they would just say this prayer with me. Lord, I believe. I know that you came. You were beaten for me. Your blood was shed for me. You died for me. And God, today, I ask that you would come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Oh, in Jesus' holy name I pray. God, help us today. 
live and dwell within us. Father, for we're just a piece of clay, and you are the potter. Mold us, make us, and reshape us to be more like you. In your holy name we pray, and all God's people said,